Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live. I'm John Dankowski. For the last two decades, New Haven's mayor's been John DeStefano, but this week he officially announced he won't seek re-election. We'll talk about his legacy and what's next for the city with Paul Bass from the New Haven Independent. We'll also revisit a pipeline controversy that we tackled on last week's show. But first, a week of emotional testimony about guns, school safety, and mental health wrapped up last night as the legislature's bipartisan committee heard from the public at Newtown High School. Here to talk about what we've heard this week is Jeff Cohen, WNPR's Capital Region reporter who's been following the story for us and for National Public Radio. Welcome back to the show, Jeff. Good morning, John. And also welcome to Ariel Levin-Becker, who covers health and health care issues for the Connecticut Mirror. Hi, Ariel. Hi. So first of all, Jeff, let, let's go uh, starting from last night. It was the final uh, one of these public hearings that the state legislature's bipartisan uh, task force put together. It was at Newtown High School, and like all of these, they've been very, very emotional. What were people saying at this hearing last night? I think it was a mix of, well, I should back up and say this was the final public hearing. It was the fourth. There were thematic public hearings that preceded this in mental health and in gun control or gun safety and, and in school safety and public safety. This one didn't have a theme other than it was in Newtown. The idea was to bring the public hearing to the place where this sadly all started um, and in many regards not not make the people uh, of that community travel to Hartford to give their testimony. So we heard a lot um, a lot about gun control last night, a lot about gun safety. Um, the, the, the first two and a half, three hours were primarily from family members, members of the community who were directly affected, parents of Sandy Hook, uh, some of the dead, parents of some of the survivors, family members of the survivors, all most of whom said, uh, called for stricter gun laws. There were some in the audience also who, who said that was the wrong way to go. Uh, all in all, it was a really quite emotional evening of, of testimony. So let's actually hear from one of the voices, uh, someone who I don't think we'd heard from publicly. Susan Ahrens uh, has a first grader at Sandy Hook who survived the attack. Let's listen. She and eight other children ran from that room directly past him but not before witnessing her friends and her teacher slaughtered in front of her. They ran past the lifeless bodies of their principal and their school psychologist. And they ran and they ran and they ran. They ran half a mile down the road. I know how very lucky we are. And not for one minute do I pretend to understand the pain that the victim's families are going through. The fact that my daughter survived and others didn't haunts me that the spot they were standing at that moment in time decided their fate that day <clears throat> when evil that could have been stopped walked into their classroom. John, Susan Ahrens was one of a few parents who spoke of parents of survivors. Another spoke uh, of his daughter, who he said is only now able to start talking and drawing pictures about what she saw. Another parent said uh, his, I think it was his son, I believe, was in, a, in the hallway at the entrance of the school uh, and thankfully wasn't able to see a whole lot because of the amount of s gun smoke. Uh, it was it, the kind of testimony that at least I hadn't heard before. Uh, and it was, it, it really was, uh, in addition to the testimony, obviously, the parents of, survive, of, of those who, who died, 
which was equally em- emotional uh, to listen to. It was, it was really something different to hear, frankly. So, and let's hear a voice from someone who, who again, took the opposite view. We heard in last night's testimony a number of people who, again, were calling for stricter gun control measures. Uh, but Michael Collins is a Sandy Hook resident, an EMT, a volunteer with the Volunteer Ambulance Corps. He's also an NRA instructor, a hunter himself. Let's listen to what he had to say. Uh, we must give the blame for this to Adam Lance and not the Connecticut firearms owners who have done nothing illegal or unresponsible. By cutting down the numbers of cartridges in a magazine, you are putting people in a dangerous position. Just has been said, when you have to reload, you are vulnerable. This applies to the person defending himself as well as a criminal. Uh, Michael Collins, I think, is st- this got to a point of the hearing that was emblematic of what uh, the whole nation is going through that that a community itself can have differing uh, and and um, not terribly emotional opinions. By that I mean this this became a reasoned discussion between a few people on the merits of gun control legislation, or or some people would think the the lack of merit uh, in, uh, for new gun control. He was followed. Mr. Collins was followed by a guy uh, named Bill Begg. He's a Newtown parent. He's also the president uh, of the medical staff at Danbury Hospital, who was working in the emergency room the morning of December fourteenth. You know, 20 years in the ER, I never uh, broke a tear, but this has affected me. I want to recognize the valiant efforts of the Newtown Volunteer Ambulance Corps. Even though Mike Collins and I disagree, I respect him immensely, and Lori Violet and the rest of the Newtown EMS, thank you so much for your services. To the families, families, uh, on behalf of the ER, we, we tried our best. We tried our best. And to you lawmakers, my mom and my dad were both Connecticut state representatives. And I asked mom, I said, Mom, why won't they make a change? Why do you think? She says, well, you know, they, they have their party lines and they have their lobbies and they have their, they may not be senior. I said, do you think this one time they'll make, it, they'll, they'll make the right decision? And, you know, she said, yeah, I think this one time. So I'm asking you, please, make the right decision on behalf of Newtown and Connecticut and the United States. Thank you. Uh, a powerful voice. Again, that's Bill Begg, a Newtown parent and also president of the medical staff at Danbury Hospital. We're talking about some of the testimony we've been hearing this week in Hartford and last night in Newtown about guns, gun safety, mental health. Uh, we're talking with Jeff Cohen uh, from WNPR and Ara Levenbecker from the Connecticut Mirror. Before we move on to some of the mental health aspects, I think the last thing he says there, Jeff, is important to the conversation we're having today. He says, I'm asking you please make the right decision on behalf of Newtown, Connecticut, and the United States. But the right decision uh, about what? We don't have a bill on the table uh, during these, these hearings. Essentially, these are public hearings to talk about this issue and gather information. But it's not incredibly clear what is meant to come out of all this. So two answers to that. The first is for, for Dr. Begg, I think it was fairly clear. You didn't hear the, a lot of what he said earlier, which had to do with gun control. Uh, and he said, you know, I, I, in an obvious jab at the NRA, he said there, there's no research on uh, in the U.S. on gun violence. So I had to go overseas to look for it. And his point was, in places like the U.K., where there are stricter gun laws, there is le- f- there are fewer gun deaths. So specifically, we heard a lot about uh, increasing gun control laws in, in the country. Uh, but you're right, there is, broadly speaking, um, a lack of clarity in terms of what we're talking about. We're talk- When it comes to guns, we're talking about high-capacity uh, magazines, and we're talking about these types of assault rifles, loosely termed, that were used, that was used uh, at Sandy Hook. When it comes to mental health, when it comes to school safety, it's kind of amorphous. It, I don't, uh, there are lots of proposals out there. 
uh, and and we'd sort of have to wait and see. And, and R.L. Evan Becker, you covered the hearing that was specifically about mental health, and maybe you can talk about what was heard there and, and whether or not lawmakers and the public are coalescing around any type of proposals that might come out of this, any laws that we might see changed. Yeah, there was, there was a range of, of opinions, but a, a lot of people at the, the hearing on mental health talked about personal experiences. There were a lot of people um, who had dealt with mental illness, who talked about um, the need for uh, continued funding for programs that support them and that help them. Um, a lot of them also expressed concern that there would be reactive legislation that um, might sort of miscast people with mental illness and treat them as as violent people we have to be protected from. They were very concerned about that. Um, there were people who spoke about family members who had mental illness, some of whom um, are not seeking treatment, people who have children with schizophrenia who don't believe that they need treatment, and some of them expressed real frustration that they, there's no way to get their adult children into treatment. Um, and that's one of the things that lawmakers have been talking about um, is maybe passing a law that would uh, allow court-ordered outpatient treatment. It's been very controversial here. Um, but that was one of the things came up. And, and you've written extensively on it. We did a program where we talked uh, about that that very issue. And, and maybe you can flesh this out a little bit more, because this this idea it rubs, rubs up against civil rights issues. Are you going to force people to take medication or go get treatment? Um, essentially, the state has held out, while most other states have said, we are going to have some sort of a law in the books that says people need to seek treatment. Connecticut has taken the other tack to this point, at least. Yeah. In, in general, um, the view in Connecticut within the mental health system, and particularly among advocates and, and people who have mental illness, has been that those kinds of laws don't work, um, that uh, it's it's not possible to engage people in treatment if they feel that they're forced, and that um, the system just needs to do a better job at, at really doing whatever it takes to get people into treatment. Um, but there are other people, including some mental health professionals and family members, who feel that there's a very, very small po- portion of the population that has mental illness that is incapable of understanding that they have a mental illness and need treatment, and that um, requiring treatment would help them. That, that it, It's generally not an issue of violence, but it's an issue that um, they have... They're not stable. Many of them are homeless. Many of them are in very vulnerable situations because they are not taking care of themselves. So it's a very emotional debate. And I think an important part of this this conversation as we're having it at the Capitol is what we're going to hear next from the testimony that day from Commissioner of Demas, Patricia Reamer. She was talking on our program the day before, and here's what she had to say about what we know about, about the killer, in this case, Adam Lanza. We do not have any information about the mental health or any mental health issues that the shooter in the Newtown tragedy may have had. We know nothing about that, and I think it's really important to say that repeatedly because I do think that people um, perhaps make assumptions about these kind of events and the mental health or mental illness associated with it. And, Ariel, this is really important. As I asked Jeff before, we have to look at what are we trying to solve here? What problem are we trying to solve in Connecticut? Are we trying to keep a Sandy Hook-like shooting from happening again in the future? Are we trying to use this as a motivating factor to have an overhaul of our mental health system altogether without knowing some of the facts of this particular case? Uh, It does seem a little up in the air as to what was trying to be accomplished on that day. Yeah, I, I think that's that's been a big theme um, for people involved with mental health. Um, people are really welcome the fact that people are paying attention and that there is attention being paid to a system that a lot of people feel um, really needs a lot of attention and a lot of um, work and funding. Um, 
But there's also a concern that the starting point for this discussion is a terribly violent act. Um, most people, the vast majority of people with mental illness are not violent. Um, and there's concern that um, there could be legislation or policies made that, that do treat them to sort of as society needing to be protected from them and, and sort of reinforcing stigma. So there's there's concern about that. I think Arielle mentioned uh, that, that word. We've heard it a lot, stigma. And it's there's been this delicate dance that we're having this entire legislative uh, public hearing process dealing specifically with mental health. It's happening on the national level. The president's called for mental health reforms. The governor's called for them. Uh, by by presumably well-meaning people, but we still, <laughs> it goes back to we don't know anything about the mental health, anything formal about the mental health of Adam Lanza. About his treatment, uh, about the, the drugs he may or may not have been taking, uh, about how his family may have intervened or not. Nothing. And so at the same time that we're talking about avoiding stigmatizing people with mental health, this entire process about uh, reforming our mental health laws has begun on an assumption. Now, is it an unfair assumption? Well, I don't I, I don't know. I, I spoke with Beth Bai about this. She's a senator from West Hartford, and she said, look, I don't need to wait for a formal diagnosis. I've had, you know, a whole group of mothers come to me who say, my son is just like Adam Lanza, and I'm scared, and I don't know how to handle him, and I can't get the services I need, and I need help. And she says, you know what, that's enough for me to go like to go forward. And, and I think that's what a lot of people will say, is that even if the we don't know about Adam Lanza, and that might not be the perfect starting point. There, there are so many issues within the mental health system that um, it, talking about it is, is a good thing, and, and the concern is just sort of the, the way we approach it. But I think most people welcome the discussion and the focus. Well, one thing, though, I want to get to when, when you're hearing from, from mothers who say, I can't get the help that I need, one of the conversations we had with the commissioner there is there is kind of a split here, and it, some of it has to do with stigma between people who are in the mental health care system of the state and people who are maybe under private insurance. If you're under the mental health care of the state, which Adam Lanza clearly was not, it's one thing we do know is that she was not in, or he was not in Patricia Rima's system. Uh, for people who are getting mental health care privately, they're sometimes paying out of pocket. They're sometimes harder to track. Uh, sometimes they're not going and getting the mental health they need, stuff that you've reported on in the past, Ariel, because there is a stigma around it, because there's a cost. And that is something that maybe can uh, be addressed here, a loophole that can be closed in our system. Yeah, I mean, one thing that that's come out from the hearing and from sort of other reports that have been released recently is that it, it appears for people who have private insurance, it, it appears much more difficult for them to access, for various reasons, um, to access mental health services um, than people who are covered through Medicaid um, or otherwise in the public system, which is generally the opposite of what typically happens in healthcare. I, I want to get to one last uh, piece of tape that we have from the first hearing of this week. Uh, our Diane Orson uh, went to the hearing, and this is the one that was happening, and it was all about guns. It was about guns, gun control, gun safety, and it drew one of the largest crowds for public hearing that we've ever seen. Uh, for this hearing, metal detectors were installed at the legislative office building, something that had not previously been uh, in place. And so as the snow fell outside, a group gathered, and up to 2,000 people decided they wanted to testify or be part of this hearing. And so Diane was standing outside the legislative office building in a very long line with a number of people who were there to have a conversation. Let's listen to some of the conversations she had with them. Somebody was talking about putting armed guards at schools. Well, we can't afford that for one thing. And if it was up to me, I would mandate every teacher have a carry permit. If there was one teacher in that school with a gun, a guy would not have gotten all those kids. Have the principals, the teachers, everybody be armed and instructed on how to use guns. 
that simple. Excuse me, sir. I just have to say, speaking as a high school student, I would not feel very safe knowing any teacher had a gun. Why not? I just feel like the presence of guns never makes the situation safer. I mean... If you take all the guns away from the law-abiding people, only the bad guys are going to have the guns. First of all, I'm not saying we should take all guns away from citizens. I'm saying we should make it not easy to access things like AK-47s, things that were made for the specific purpose of killing people. And I also feel like it's kind of a logical fallacy to apply the Second Amendment to weapons that were invented literally centuries after that amendment was written. Uh, that was recorded in the line of people waiting to get into the hearing this past Monday. It was all about guns in front of this bipartisan uh, committee. Uh, Diane Orson re recorded that. Scott Hoffman, who you heard there, is an avid deer and bird hunter from Suffield. Olive Kuhn is a student from Middletown High School. And, Jeff, they just started talking in line. And it was one of many conversations, actually, Diane got a chance to hear as she was just waiting uh, to get into this very, very packed room. And I think what they illustrate, and this reminded me of some of the stuff I heard last night, is a lot of this dialogue is going to take people on very extreme sides of, of a position, certainly when it comes to gun control. And the police chief of, of Newtown last night spoke of, uh, he said it's time to make sacrifices. Uh, and David Wheeler's, uh, David Wheeler's, his son Benjamin was, was killed on December 14th. And he said, it's time for us to think about our priorities. And that's a lot of the message you heard. It's, it's, it's not discounting one's, in his, to his mind, it's not about uh, taking the guns away. Again, this is his perspective. Uh, it's about uh, are the guns in his mind more important than the life of his son? That's what he said. He said he, he went to the declaration. He talked about life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And in his mind, life came first. Liberty came second. The right to own your gun comes after the, the, the right of his son to live. And that's an interesting priorities question. And when we talk about priorities, Ariel Levenbecker, what are some things you're looking at as we, we've been through this testimony, as we maybe move forward other issues that are going to come up and that you're going to be watching coming out of this debate? Um, one thing a lot of... Um people involved with mental health have been talking about is um, not only the current system for people who are in treatment, but really working on prevention um, and early intervention, um, ways to screen very young children um, for potential behavioral health issues um, and, and intervening early to prevent problems from happening later on. Aria Lovenbecker covers health and health issues for the Connecticut Mirror. She's written a, a series of reports following Newtown about some of these issues. You can read her work at ctmirror.org. Always good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thanks also to Jeff Cohen, WNPR's Capital Region reporter, who's been covering this story for us and for NPR. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, John. When we come back, we'll uh, change our focus, and we'll be talking about something else that's happened this week, something that took a lot of us by surprise. John DeStefano has been the mayor of New Haven for some 20 years. He said he's stepping aside. We're going to try to find out what's next for the Elm City with Paul Bass from the New Haven Independent. He'd know better than anybody else. We'll take your phone calls at 860 275